Welcome to Thoughts on the Market. I'm Ariana Salvatore from our U.S. Public Policy Research Team. And I am Carlos de Alba, head of the Metals and Mining Team in North America. On this special episode of the podcast, we'll discuss what we see as an inflection point for the U.S. metals and mining industry. It's Tuesday, September 19th at 10 a.m. in New York. Since 1990, the U.S. has seen a significant increase in both the variety of imported minerals and the level of dependence on these imports. As of right now, U.S. reliance on imported critical minerals has reached a 30-year high, and simultaneously, investment in the industry is near its lowest point in decades. But as we're seeing the world transition to a multipolar model where supply chains are more regional than global, it's becoming ever more obvious that the U.S. needs to turn to reshoring in order to satisfy its growing need for these critical minerals. So, Carlos, before we get too deep in the weeds, let's start off with something simple. Can you define critical minerals for our audience? Yeah, so the Energy Act of 2020 defined critical minerals as those which are essential to the economy and the national security of the United States. They also have a supply chain that is vulnerable to disruption and serve an essential function in the manufacturing of a product, the absence of which would have significant consequences for the economic and national security of the country. The Act also specified that critical minerals do not include fuel minerals, water, ice, or snow, or common varieties of sand, gravel, stone, and clay. The U.S. Geological Survey, or USGS, is a government agency in charge of creating the official list of critical minerals that meet that criteria that I just mentioned. So given the importance of these critical minerals, what are some of the factors that led to this prolonged underinvestment in the metals and mining industry? And who have been the major exporters of critical minerals to the U.S. over the last three decades? It is quite a complex issue, but the bottom line is that the U.S. has scaled back its mineral extraction, processing, and refining capabilities since the 1950s because of environmental concerns and economic considerations like higher labor costs and lower economies of scales. As mining activities decline in the U.S., the country has increasingly relied on imports from China, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa, Indonesia, Canada, and Australia, amongst others. So it's obvious that China is clearly in a powerful position to influence the global mineral markets. It's the first one on the list that you just mentioned. What is China doing right now with respect to its exports of minerals, and what is your outlook when you're thinking about the future? Well, over the last four to five decades, China gradually took over the industry by heavily investing in exploration, mineral extraction, and more importantly, refining and processing capabilities. China's dominance over the world's mineral processing supply chains has created, as you would expect, geopolitical and economic uncertainties, can cause supply disruptions to crucial end markets such as the green technologies or national security. A recent example of export curbs took place in July of this year, when China imposed export restrictions on two chip-making minerals, gallium and germanium, citing national security concerns. The move was widely interpreted as a retaliation against the U.S. and its allies for having imposed restrictions that curbed China's access to chip-making technologies. Now, this move by China was particularly relevant because the country produces over 80% of the world's gallium supply and 60% of germaniums. And it is the primary supplier to the U.S., representing more than 50% of these two minerals imports to the United States. But since we're on this topic, Ariana, how are the U.S. policymakers trying to help the strengthening of domestic supply chains? Right. So most things that involve building up the domestic sphere in order to kind of build resiliency or counter China's influence are quite popular bipartisan priorities. 
So we're seeing policymakers on both sides of the aisle indicating support for reshoring the critical mineral supply chain. That's mainly accomplished through legislation that targets things like tax incentives or subsidies for corporates. On the regulatory front, it really comes down to easing the permitting process, which can be quite backlogged and delay the project pipeline. For some more context on that point, permitting on average takes about 7 to 10 years in the U.S. without taking into account the time spent on litigation, compared to about 2 to 3 years in other countries. So relaxing the permitting process, we think, is one key way that lawmakers can try to accelerate this reshoring of critical minerals in an increasingly insecure geopolitical world. Now, the mining sector obviously has implications from an environmental point of view, and some of the aspects of the mining industry are at odds with sustainability business goals. So what a significant increase in mining activity in the U.S. would look like from a sustainability perspective? So this is really just a question of opposing factors. We do think that there are some clear benefits from a sustainability perspective when it comes to onshoring. For example, you have better oversight and reduced risks relating to human and labor rights violations, a reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions, assuming the extraction process here in the U.S. is held to higher ESG standards, and shortened transportation or supply chain routes. However, there's also a flip side, which contains some obvious ESG concerns. First, you've seen the mining industry in the past be associated with human rights concerns, specifically related to impacts to local communities, and of course, the hard-to-ignore implications of mining on nature and biodiversity. So at the end of the day, as I said, it's really a question of where that net effect is. And we think it's more in the positive column, specifically because of that better oversight around the ESG pillars that is facilitated by onshoring. But putting that to the side for a second, Carlos, when all is said and done, assuming the U.S. is actually able to do this, does it even have enough of its own mineral supplies in order to satisfy all its needs domestically? Well, that's an interesting point, because in 24 of 50 minerals deemed critical by the USGS, the U.S. either report less than 1% of the total global reserves or lacks sufficient reserve data, which highlights the need for more comprehensive exploration and mining efforts. In the case of some battery-making minerals like cobalt, nickel, or vanadium, the U.S. holds an average reserve level of only 0.5% of total global reserves. Now, on the positive side, the U.S. ranks ninth in copper reserves, accounting for about 5% of total global reserves, and the country ranks sixth in rare earth reserves. Ariana, If we consider yet another relevant aspect for the discussion, what about the workforce? How is the U.S. government addressing labor shortages in the mining industry? When it comes to this sector, there's definitely a shortage of skilled workers in particular, which is being tackled, I'd say, through two distinct avenues. First of all, you have corporates, which are trying to change the public perception of mining. And they're doing that primarily by elevating their operating standards and focusing on reducing possible environmental impacts. And then to your point that you just mentioned, you also have the government doing its part by launching workforce initiatives. Those are basically programs that are set up to incentivize higher education institutions to develop critical minerals education programs and research and training efforts. Those are funneled through legislation like the Chips and Science Act, which was signed into law late last year. A popular saying within the mining industry is, if you can't grow it, you mine it. Given that mining is a critical source of raw materials, which touch upon nearly every supply chain, Carlos, can you sketch out some of the broader industrial and economic implications of a potential mining boom? You're absolutely right. The development of a new domestic mine supply and the requiring processing capabilities will influence multiple industries here in the U.S., 
beyond obviously miners and exploration companies, a potential mining boom in the country will generate significant demand for equipment and machinery manufacturers, as well as engineering and environmental firms. It would also foster a more rapid and secure development of supply chains that rely heavily on minerals like batteries and electric vehicles companies. Carlos, thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you. It was great speaking with you, Ariana. And thanks for listening. If you enjoy Thoughts on the Market, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with a friend or colleague today. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you. 